Good morning. Great to be here with you all as we gather to worship the Lord, to hear from Him. He's given us a beautiful day today to, to gather and to worship. I uh, want to welcome any uh, who may be streaming online and some visitors that are hanging out with us. We haven't seen in a while. Good to see you guys uh, with us this morning. Today we come to a portion of Scripture that I'm pretty sure... Many of you, if not all of you, are very familiar with okay, a portion of Scripture that I'm sure most of you read at least once a year come December time frame. Okay? Uh, this morning we're going to be looking at Luke's account of the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And while I know that we are getting ready to kind of start summer vacation, uh, any time of the year is a wonderful time to remind ourselves of the good tidings of great joy that was delivered to us all the day upon which the Son of God came to this earth in the form of a babe. And so we're going to dive right in. We're going to be reminded of this amazingly great news of a Savior being born to us. Uh, I'm going to ask you just to rise to your feet one last time uh, in honor of the Lord as we read through the text. We're going to read from verse 1 all the way through 20. And so I'm going to read from my Bible. I'm reading from the New King James Version of the Bible. Uh, If you're reading from a different translation, uh, do your best to follow along. Okay, so Luke, he shares the details of Jesus' birth beginning in verse 1 of chapter 2. He writes, And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, The days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Verse 15, so it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing, this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God 
for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather to worship you. And Lord, uh, as uh, this is an American holiday weekend, Lord, it's Memorial Day, we do take time to reflect and remember those whose lives uh, were given in service to their country, Lord, to enjoy these types of freedoms, to be able to read, uh, to meet freely and, and publicly. Lord, as we remember those whose lives were cut short, Lord, we ultimately we gather in this place this morning to remember your life that was laid down for us. Lord, we thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that greater love has no man than to lay down his life for his friend. And, and you no longer call us uh, servants, but uh, friends, Lord. And um, what a blessing that is to be a friend of, of the Lord and that you would lay down your life for us. Lord, we pray that you would minister to our hearts as we gathered in this place, that you would, uh, Holy Spirit, just do a great work. We lift our time to you, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may have a seat. In our first three verses, verses 1 through 3 uh, of our text this morning, Dr. Luke, he sets the historical background to the events surrounding the birth of Jesus Christ. We're told that in those days was uh, a decree was sent out by Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Now, Caesar Augustus is a very prominent man in world history. He was born Gaius Octavian. His grandmother was the sister of Julius Caesar. And being a talented young man, Octavian came to the attention of his great uncle, Julius Caesar. And eventually, Julius Caesar came to adopt Octavian as his own son. And this was made, uh, he was made into the official heir in the year 45 BC. Now, within a year of that event taking place, history tells us that Julius Caesar was murdered and Octavian joined with two others to eventually, uh, well, to equally divide the Roman rule between them. However, okay, varying opinions on overall direction eventually pit the three against each other. After defeating the other two, Octavian became the sole rule of the Roman world in 31 BC. So, after uh, years and years of war and destruction, Octavian was able to once again establish political unity and peace within the Mediterranean shores. He established what would later be called the Pax Romana, which is Latin for Roman peace, a period of time that is credited to have begun with him and lasted for more than two centuries uh, as the Roman Empire ruled most of the world. Okay? This Pax Romana, however... It wasn't all goodwill and, and harmony as one would expect when talking about peace on earth. You see, the reason this time period was referred to as the Pax Romana was not because everyone loved Rome and their rule. Okay? No, it was actually quite the contrary. Rome had bludgeoned any and all who would dare stand up to them. You see, people didn't live in peace as much as they lived in fear. The people feared Rome and what Rome would do to them if they got out of line. And so, after establishing his rule, Octavian 
was able to then convince the Roman Senate to give to him the title of Augustus, which can be translated as consecrated, holy, or sacred. It was a title that was used for uh, gods. And so uh, Caesar uh, Augustus, Octavian, he wanted to be known as a god, as a divine. And even after years of priding themselves on being a republic, uh, a nation governed by laws, not by any one man, Rome now became an empire ruled by an emperor. The first emperor of Rome was this man that we read about in Luke's gospel, Caesar Augustus. Now, in the days of Caesar Augustus, he sent out a decree for the whole world to be registered. The purpose being twofold. One was for military consignment. Okay, you would go and you'd register, and it's like, okay, you're 18 years old, and you know you're a Roman citizen. You know you need to sign up for the military. Okay, but the other was for taxation. Okay, um, an interesting detail about this decree was that everyone had to go back to their hometown to register. You see, at other times, people would have the ability to register where they currently lived or even to register via proxy of some sort. But here, Caesar makes it a requirement that people travel to their hometown in order to be registered. The power that this man wielded in making the whole Roman-controlled world to get up and move at his word was presumptuous. It was very arrogant as well. Augustus saw himself as the supreme ruler and all others as pawns doing his own bidding. This, of course, was not reality. As we'll see, it was Augustus that was being used as a pawn by one far more superior than he. Take a look at verses 4 and 5. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. We'll stop right there. From his palace in Rome, Caesar Augustus, he caused all in the world to get up and move, including a couple from the city of Nazareth. Joseph and his betrothed wife Mary, who was with child, had to get up from Nazareth and travel into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Now, the travel from Nazareth up in the area of Galilee down to Bethlehem, which is south of Jerusalem, was between 70 to 80 miles long. It would be very difficult for a woman advanced in pregnancy to make this type of journey. Although the scriptures don't tell us exactly how far along Mary is in her pregnancy, I believe it's safe to assume that Mary is well within her third trimester of her pregnancy, the King James Version of the Bible says that she was great with child, indicating that she was well advanced into this pregnancy of hers. Okay? And for her to travel upwards to 80 miles by foot or even by animal would not be a welcome venture by any means. Bethlehem, as I mentioned, is a city south of Jerusalem. As stated here, is where David was from. Joseph, actually Mary as well came from the line of David, and so they were required to travel to Bethlehem. Now, at first glance, it would seem that Caesar Augustus was the one that made Joseph and Mary travel to Bethlehem. But as many of you know, there was something else going on that had nothing to do with Caesar Augustus. You see, some 700 years prior to Caesar Augustus' decree to have everyone registered, a prophet 
from Judah named Micah. He declared that Bethlehem, although small, would become a very big deal. In Micah chapter 5, verse 2, the prophet declared, But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. Micah's prophecy was concerning the coming Messiah, the anointed one that would set up an everlasting kingdom. It was prophesied that the Messiah, he the very babe, that Mary carried, would be born in Bethlehem. But Joseph and Mary, they live in Nazareth. How would the Lord get a couple advanced in pregnancy to get up and travel upwards to 80 miles? Well, easy. He'll use the emperor as a pawn in his own plan to get Joseph and Mary to where they needed to be. You see... Although Caesar Augustus presumed to be the most powerful being on the earth, he was just a pawn used by the Lord Almighty. True indeed is the proverb in chapter 21, which states, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Like rivers of water, he churns it wherever he wishes. The Lord needed Joseph and Mary in Bethlehem to fulfill the the prophecy, and so he used the most powerful ruler of the day to order them to go to Bethlehem. You know, as I consider the behind the scenes workings of the Lord, you know, I do take hope and I do take comfort in knowing that the same God that was at work then is at work today. He's working out details in my life to get me where he wants me to be so that he can fulfill his plans and the work that he desires to do in and through me. And the same applies to you as well. He's working in your life okay, to get you where He wants you to be so that He can fulfill the plans and the work that He wants to do in and through you. Maybe you can relate to Joseph and Mary's situation. Maybe you've found yourself in a place where things just don't make sense. Things just aren't adding up. You're, you're having to go through things that are challenging You know, maybe you're not being asked to travel 80 miles in your final trimester, but, you know, maybe things at work are crazy. Perhaps things at home are are getting tough. Maybe it's a financial problem. Maybe it's marital problems, or perhaps it's health-related. Something's wrong. The doctors can't seem to figure out what, what it is. We can find ourselves in all sorts of difficult situations, but here's what we need to remember. God is at work. He used circumstances and people to get Joseph and Mary where they needed to be. It wasn't easy, but it was part of God's plan. When we're going through tough times and it isn't easy, okay, we can still be confident that God is at work, that He can use these circumstances we find ourselves in for His glory and for His plans for us. He did it in Joseph and Mary's life, and He will do it in our lives as well. Let's continue on. Verse 6, it says, So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. While Joseph and Mary were in Bethlehem, it came time for her to deliver her child. 
This pregnancy of Mary's, we noted, it was a miraculous one. Uh, Matthew and Luke give us some details regarding her miraculous virgin conception. Uh, We've gone through Luke, uh, but Matthew tells us some of these details as well. Matthew chapter 1 verse 18 uh, tells us that after Joseph and Mary were betrothed as husband and wife, but before they came together, Mary was found with child by the Holy Spirit. Uh, At first, Joseph actually thought to put her away because of the disgrace that it was for her to be found pregnant after being betrothed to each other. But the Lord sent an angel to Joseph to inform him that this was indeed of God, that he was not to be afraid to take Mary as his wife. Verses uh, 24 and 25 of Matthew 1 tells us that Joseph took Mary to be his wife, but that he waited to come together with her until after the birth of this child. That was of the Holy Spirit. Earlier on in our study of the Gospel of Luke from chapter 1, we read how Mary too was visited by an angel and the angel informed Mary that she would bring forth a son that would be called the Son of the Highest, that the Holy One who is to be born will also be called the Son of God. And so this is a miraculous birth, uh, pregnancy, a miraculous birth. The time for this miracle to come forth was at hand the son of god was about to be born in the form of a man how incredible that is and so as joseph and mary traveled in bethlehem they tried to find a place to stay but they could find no place that had room for them here the son of the highest the son of god is about to be born in the form of man God in the flesh, in the form of a babe, was about to make his earthly debut. And yet, there was no room to be found for him. How amazingly sad that is. That there would be no room for Joseph and Mary to bring into the world the Son of God. And I think what's worse is that there are still people today that have no room for Christ in their life. You see, I imagine, I give the benefit of the doubt, if the innkeepers knew that Mary was about to give birth to the Son of God, they would have made room for Him. And I think that's what makes some of our our sins so much the worst, because we do know who He is. We do know what He's done for us. And yet we still have no room for Him in our life. The doors of our hearts are often closed off to Him. Some of us are too busy seeking our own pursuits, doing what we want to do to bother with making room for Christ. I want to ask you a question this morning, one to ponder. Seriously. Do you have any room for Christ in your life? If Christ showed up at your house later this afternoon to participate in your Memorial Day barbecue... Would there be room for him? Would he be welcome to come and be a part of your festivities? Would you be embarrassed by his presence? Would his presence put a damper upon your celebration? You see, we need to make sure that we make room for Christ in our life, that he is a welcome part of our lives every single day, not just on special days, not just on Sundays, not just on on Wednesday nights when we gather together for church, okay? Not just at special times of the year like Christmas and Easter where we're like, okay, you know, we're going to remember, you know, the birth of Christ. This is important. We've got to make room for this. 
but he would be a prominent part of every single day of our life. That he would be not just a part of our life, but our life would be dictated by him. Verse 7 tells us that Mary brought forth her firstborn son. The son of God had entered the world. It really is amazing to consider how uneventful one of the biggest, if not the biggest, events in all of history was. The Son of God had just been born, and yet it seems as if outside of Joseph and Mary, nobody could care less. The humbleness of his arrival it stands in great contrast to the powers that be in those days. Caesar Augustus thought himself to be holy, thought himself to be sacred, to be a god. He perched himself atop the throne of the Roman Empire while the Son of God rested outside in a manger, a feeding trough for animals wrapped in swaddling cloths. Interestingly, the manger and the swaddling cloths, they both serve as foreshadows of what was to come. You see, Jesus Christ's purpose in coming was to live a sinless life and to lay that life down for all of humanity, to give his life as a ransom for us upon the cross of Calvary. You see, after Jesus was taken down from that cross, his body would once again be wrapped in strips of cloth. And his body once again would be laying into a hewn out rock. You see, the feeding troughs used in the Middle East at that time, and even today, they were most commonly made out of hewn out rock. Okay, most of our nativity scenes have these like wooden uh, manger sets, and they're kind of nice and pretty and cute. That's not what it really was like, okay? Um, but notice well with me what this must have been like for Mary. Think about it from her perspective. It says she brought forth her firstborn son. There weren't any doulas alongside her, okay? She wrapped him in swaddling cloths. She laid him in a manger. I am hopeful that Joseph was there to help with whatever he could do, but, but they were pretty much on their own. And I bring this up because I want you to note something. Previously, Mary, as we looked in chapter 1, Mary was visited by an angel, and she was told that she was going to give birth to the Son of God. Okay? And her response when all this was laid upon her was simply, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord. Okay? Let it be to me according to your word. Okay? Mary was completely submitted to whatever the Lord wanted to do. She was His willing vessel. God, use me however you want to use me. I'm yours. Let your will be done. Complete surrender. And you would think that after completely surrendering to God, that things for her would just start to go real smooth. Right? That life would just all of a sudden just be so great and wonderful and things would just start getting really easy for her. But that isn't what happens at all. She becomes pregnant outside of wedlock. She becomes the talk of the town, no doubt. She's well into her pregnancy and she's got to get up and travel some 70 to 80 miles, okay? Not to go have a, a family reunion so that she can be registered to pay taxes, okay? She arrives on scene. There's no place for them to stay. There's no room for them. Bethlehem's packed. They're forced to take up shelter someplace where the animals normally would feed most likely in some sort of cave or stable. She has to give birth out in the cold with only her husband by her side. 
no midwife to assist her or anyone else to care for her or her baby. Things weren't going all too great for her. Even though she was totally submitted to God, she was yielded to Him, she still encountered all sorts of opposition, all sorts of difficulties. And I, and I bring this up because the same applies to us today. It is a truth we don't always like to proclaim. It's not a truth that we like to uh, grab a hold of. But I need to remind you, I don't want you to think that you submitting and surrendering your life to Jesus means that all of a sudden your life's just going to be on easy street. You see, the enemy of our souls takes notice when we yield ourselves to the Lord. When we come to Him in faith and lay down our lives for Him uh, and His honor, for His glory, to be used of Him, to have an impact upon His kingdom, the enemy of our souls takes notice. And you can bet He's going to try and come at us with all sorts of attacks, all sorts of things to make us second-guess our decision to follow the Lord and to live for Him wholeheartedly. First Peter tells us, Beloved, do not think it strange. Okay? Don't think this is strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange things happen to you don't think it's strange this is normal we aren't promised a life on easy street when we come to jesus in fact jesus promised us the opposite he said in john chapter 16 in the world you will have tribulation that's a promise from god and again it's not one that we like to claim but it is a promise But then he says, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Paul told Timothy, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And I've always noted what Paul writes here to Timothy. He says, all who desire to live godly. You see, it's it's not a matter of whether or not you do live godly. Okay? It's just a matter of whether or not you desire to live godly. And and I would hope that if I were to ask us all and to call uh, upon a show of hands this morning, and I would ask, who here desires to live a godly life? My hope would be that we would all raise our hands and say, yes, I I desire to live a a godly life. But I want you also to recognize and understand that by raising your hand in that situation, you're basically saying and assuring yourself you're going to suffer persecution. You see, following Jesus isn't easy. It will have challenges. It will have seasons of difficulties. But listen, it's definitely worth it. Eternity in heaven awaits us. And there isn't anything this world can throw at us that will outweigh the glory of heaven. And we know and we have God's promise that He will be with us each and every step along the way. Yes, it will be difficult. Yes, we'll go through trials and difficulties, persecution even. But Christ will be with us. He will never leave us nor forsake us. And heaven awaits us. Verse 8 says, Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. 
Even though those on earth didn't seem to notice what was going on, the angelic hosts took notice of what was going on and would not allow this miraculous event to go unnoticed. We're introduced to some shepherds here that were in the country, living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. Now, based upon these details of the birth of Christ, many suggest that the possibility of dating Christmas in December to be outside the realm of possibility. You know, traditionally, flocks pastured constantly in the open fields from about Passover time in April until autumn. So December would be pretty late to have flocks in the open fields at night. Um, You know, the dating of Jesus' birth is not actually given to us in Scripture. There's nothing in the Bible that tells us when he was born, uh, the day-wise. Some suggest that the dating of Christmas in December was done by Constantine in the year 336 A.D., and it was actually connected to a pagan holiday. Uh, Constantine basically wanted to bring Christianity into the world. There was a pagan holiday on that day, and they said, hey, you know what, instead of you know, worshiping this pagan deity on this day, we're going to start acknowledging that day as the day Christ came into this world, okay? Here's what we need to know and understand. The actual date of Christmas, the date of his birth, it isn't that important, okay? We set aside December 25th in uh, our tradition to honor and celebrate his coming. But listen, it's just as good as any other day in my opinion, okay? May 30th, is just as good a day to celebrate the coming of Jesus as December 25th is as any other day. The important thing is that we acknowledge it. We do celebrate it, okay? We don't know the exact day. Some people get hung up on that. It's not December 25th. Yeah, you're probably right. It's not. <laughs> but that's not important. Acknowledging the Lord, His coming, and, and, and what He's done for us, that's what's important. Anyways, these shepherds, they were out in the fields that, uh, that night, And an angel appeared before them, and they were greatly afraid. The angel uh, spoke to them, exhorted them not to be afraid, and he continued to share the good news of Jesus' birth. The angel declared, Behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The word good tidings uh, is the same word in the Greek that's later used in the New Testament for telling the good news or for preaching the gospel. And there are a lot of connections to this proclamation of glad tidings that were given to the shepherds and to the good news of the gospel. We see here, first of all, that the good tidings were of great joy. Okay, great joy. The scriptures teach us that there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. Every time someone receives the good news of the gospel, there is great joy in heaven. Also note with me that the good tidings will be to all people. The gospel message, of course, is to all people. It's for everyone for males and females, for the rich and the poor, for Jews and the Gentiles. See, it's not just an American thing. Japanese people think of the gospel of Jesus Christ as an American thing, or it's a Western thing. Listen, the gospel message of Jesus Christ is for every man, woman, and child upon this earth. The good tidings, they declare to us that Jesus is savior jesus christ has come as savior to save us jesus said of himself he said the son of man has come to seek and to save 
that which was lost. Paul wrote in 1 Timothy 1.15 that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. We were lost in our sin and trespasses, and Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to save us from sin, the penalty of our sin, which is death. The angel also gave the shepherds a sign to look for. They were to look for a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. Now, the fact that the baby Jesus was wrapped in swaddling cloths was not the main thing that would stick out to these shepherds. Most all babies were wrapped in swaddling cloths. Okay? No, the major thing that would set this baby apart from other babies that they may witness in swaddling cloths was that this baby would be placed in a manger. The manger is a focal point of the Christmas narrative. Okay? Um, oftentimes we, as I mentioned, our nativity scenes, it's right at the center of our nativity scenes. It's really usually very nice and, and pretty, a wooden little box with hay in it, and it, it's really pretty, right? Um, that's not what this is, okay? I, I think we've kind of romanticized that idea. We say, oh, the manger, and we think of something really kind of pretty and, and nice, and oh, it's, it's the crib of Jesus, That's not what a manger is. You see, the angel just talked about glad tidings, great joy, the Savior, the appearing of the Christ, the Messiah, the the one they had been waiting for, and he's going to be found in a manger. He needs you to understand and know that a manger is a feeding trough. Okay, Animals go up to it, they eat in it, they, they regurgitate food in it, and they slobber in it, and it's nasty, and it's disgusting. Okay? He's going to be found in a manger, in a dirty, cold rock that would normally be filled with feed. The manger, it shows the humility of Christ's coming. It speaks of the great sacrifice He's willing to give to come for us. You see, His dwelling place had been in heaven. He was at the right hand of the Father. The beauty of heaven was left for the cold, dark surroundings of a dirty manger. 2 Corinthians 8 9 describes part of this sacrifice. Paul writes, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you, through his poverty, might become rich. You see, it was all done for us. The Christ, the Son of God, gave up his riches. He gave up his place in heaven, becoming poor for us, that through his sacrifice we might be made rich, that we might have the hope of dwelling in heaven with the Father. Let's continue. Verse 13, that suddenly there was with the angels a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. After the angel had declared his glad tidings, a heavenly host of angels appeared praising God. They sang, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. The angels praised God for what had just taken place. They knew the significance of what had just taken place. The work of salvation was at hand. The whole purpose of the plan of salvation is glory to God. Warren Wearsby, a favorite commentator of mine, he writes in his commentary about the glory of God. And he writes and he notes how God's glory had dwelt in the tabernacle. We read about that in the Old Testament. And the, God's glory had been in the temple, but it had departed because of the nation's sin. Now, God's glory was returning to earth in the person of His Son. That lowly manger, that feeding trough, 
was a holy of holies because Jesus was there. Not only did they give glory to the Lord, but they also spoke about peace on earth. You see, the Pax Romana wasn't what people needed. The absence of war was not the kind of peace that man needed. Even the pagans of the first century world knew the peace offered by Rome was insufficient. The Stoic philosopher Epictetus said, While the emperor may give peace from war on land and sea, he is unable to give peace from passion, grief, and envy. He cannot give peace of heart for which man yearns more than even for outward peace. You see, man needed way more than just outward peace. They needed peace with God. And that is what Jesus Christ offers freely to us. To give us peace with God. Isaiah spoke of the sacrifice of Christ and how it was through the cross that our peace was obtained by Christ. Isaiah declares, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Romans chapter 5, verse 1 declares, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace with God is the grand necessity of a fallen world, and with the arrival of the Savior, that peace is made available to all. Let's wrap up our text. Look at verses 15 through 20 with me. We're going to note these shepherds and their actions. It says, So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child, And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. I love the example of the shepherds here. And I believe it is something that all believers should take notice of and look to emulate. I want you to observe with me here that after hearing the heavenly messengers They acted upon the knowledge that was shared with them. They received the word and then they acted upon it. And I look at that and I think what a great example for us. When the Lord gives us a message, when the Lord gives us a word, we need to be faithful to act upon it. Sometimes we come to church and, and maybe in spite of me, the Lord, He speaks to you. He gives you a message. He gives you a word from Him. But as soon as you leave the church, you forget the message. You don't act upon the message. You don't follow through with what the Lord's shown you. You know, as during church, it's like, oh man, that's for me. And we write it down in our notes and we know oh, that's really good. And then we close up our Bibles and we don't open it again until, you know, next Sunday. And we never act upon what God's shown us. Perhaps during your quiet time with the Lord, the Lord tells you something. He, he's speaking into your life about a certain situation. Maybe He's telling you you need to make things right in a relationship that's been damaged. You need to follow through with that message from the Lord. You need to be obedient. Maybe the Lord's telling you, hey, you need to get involved in church. You need to get involved in service. You need to be an active part. Okay? You need to act upon God's prompting. These shepherds, they hear the message from the Lord. And they went and acted upon it, searching for the baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And I think they're a great example for us. Not all, so, notice also 
that these shepherds, they came with haste. They found, and they found Mary and Joseph and the babe. You see, they made haste. And they came as quickly as possible. That means they didn't go home and get changed or get cleaned up. They simply came as they were. Listen, they were most likely dirty, perhaps a bit smelly. Okay, they've been sleeping outside with the sheep, okay, uh, during the night. But that didn't let that keep them from coming. And, and I see here another great example for us to follow. Because God invites us to come to Him as we are. We don't need to clean ourselves up first before we can come to Him. You know, I've witnessed to people before about, you know, coming to Christ and surrendering their life to the Lord. And I've heard people talk about how they, well, I, I need to get my act together first before I can come to Christ. Listen, you know, they think to themselves, well, you know, if I, I can't come to church because I'm involved in certain things in my life. And, and until I can deal with these things in my life, I can't come to church. Let me tell you something and I'll let you in on a secret. God already knows what you're involved in. <laughs> he knows what your life is like. He, there are no surprises with Him. And He still invites you to come. And He knows exactly what you've been doing. He knows exactly where you've been. Okay? Waiting to get your act together will lead you to never coming to Christ because listen to me very carefully. You can't get your act together without Him. You need the Lord Jesus Christ in your life to get your act together. Waiting and trying to do it on your own will never happen. We need the Lord. The shepherds, they remind us that we can come to God just as we are. Another thing worth noting here is that when the shepherds arrived and saw the newborn babe, it tells us that they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. You see, the shepherds, they went all over and they told as many as would seemingly listen to them about the good news that the angels declared to them and they saw for themselves. And I think the application for us is quite simple. For those of us here who have heard the message of the good news, and we have responded to the gospel message, we have seen for ourselves the truth of this message, Listen, we need to get out and tell others about it. We want to be those that know Christ and make Him known. Lastly, I see here one more example for us to note from the shepherds, and that involves a genuine heart of worship. Verse 20 tells us they returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen. I want to encourage you this morning to take time to worship the Lord on a regular basis. That we would be worshipers of God. Okay? That we would sing His praises. That we would magnify His name. That we wouldn't be shy about it either. Take time to reflect upon all that you have heard and all that you have seen God do in your life. Take time to glorify the Lord. Take time to praise Him. Worship the Lord as these shepherds did. Amen? Amen. Well, I do hope that you are encouraged by a very familiar portion of Scripture. Okay, you're encouraged by the fact that God is at work, that He is at work in the crazy circumstances of your life, and we can trust that His plan is better than ours. I also want to encourage you all to make sure that there's room for Christ in your everyday life. I want you to be reminded that the glad tidings, that they were of great joy, and they were to all people, 
because a Savior had been provided for us to save us from our sin and the consequences of our sin. The birth of Christ reminds us that God's plan of salvation is a glorious one, and it offers the blessing of being at peace with God. We all need peace with God, and He offers it only through His Son, Jesus Christ. And then lastly, these shepherds, they showed us that we need to act upon God's message to us and that we can come to Him just as we are. You know, if you're here this morning and you don't have peace with God, I want to encourage you to act upon this message, to follow the example of the shepherds and come just as you are and receive the greatest gift ever. Better than any gift you could ever receive under a Christmas tree, that's for sure. This gift is a Savior, and God has given Him to you that you might freely receive Him into your life. And I would say for those of us who have received that gift, man, let's take that message and make it widely known to all we can, and let's worship the Lord with all of our lives. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are willing to come, to forsake heaven and come and grace us with your presence in the dirty, cold rock of a manger. You humbled yourself. And you left us an example that we might follow in. Lord, I do pray that if there are any here that have yet to respond to this message, that today would be the day of salvation, that today would be the day that they gladly receive this good news. Lord, I pray for those that have responded to the message already, that we would be those that take this message and share it with as many as we can, that we would be worshipers of you. And so, Lord, lead and guide us. Lead and guide us to salvation for those that need it. Lead and guide us to your presence for those that already have responded. Lord, that we just would find you in each and every day of our life. Spend time with you, worshiping before you. We thank you for this time. We thank you for this morning. We ask and pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.